Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I titled this one, The Four Much Mores. Because as I read, certain things just kind of pop into my mind. And when you're talking about grace, grace is much more. It's always much more than whatever the problem is. I committed 10,000 sins. Well, grace is much more than all that that I did. Grace is better. Grace is so much more. But I want you to see this in Romans in chapter 5, look there in verse 1. He says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you and I, we were enemies of God. And lo and behold, Christ came, died on the cross, and showed us his love. See down in verse 8, where he says, but God commendeth his love, or displayed his love, manifested his love toward us, in that while we were yet perfect, (laughs) sinners, Christ died for us. So if Christ died for us, it's because we all needed someone to die for us. So he died for the whole world, so evidently everybody in the world needed somebody to die for them. Christ did that for us. And so once you trust Christ as Savior, he gives you eternal life as a free gift, and you get to go to heaven on what Christ did for it. So you are justified. Look in verse 2. He says, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In other words, it's not only God's grace that saves us, justifies us, but it's God's grace where we stand. And that's every day of our lives. Did you know if it wasn't for the grace of God, none of us would live? If I were the devil, I'd take every child of God out of here. That would really mess up God, wouldn't it? So if I was the devil, I'd I'd be after you, especially if you wanted to serve the Lord. Especially if you dedicated your life to the Lord. That's why I've had people say, I was better off before I ever got saved. Because when I got trust of the Lord, and then I said, I'm going to serve the Lord, everything in my life seemed like it fell apart. And everything's been worse afterwards. What did you expect? You declared war. You didn't surrender. That means you're willing to fight. It's either fight or surrender. So you chose to fight. Oh, okay, now here comes the battle. You're going to get bloodied. And the devil is going to do everything in his power to try to destroy you. And he wants to ruin your life, ruin your testimony. They used to have on television years ago, 40-something years ago, uh, a TV broadcast called You Asked For It. Remember that? You Asked For It. I enjoyed that. had all kind of weird stuff on it, but you asked for it. So um, you asked for it. You probably told the Lord, Lord, I love you. Lord, I want to serve you. Lord, I want you to use me. Okay, so you messed up. You did that, huh? And now it's going to come. So God is going to allow a lot of things in your life. But understand this, and you ought to underline uh, this verse. Verse 3. Because even though you trusted Christ as Savior, you have eternal life, doesn't mean you're going to be exempt from tribulations. See in verse 3? And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Ooh. We rejoice in hope. But we glory in tribulation also, knowing something. What do you know? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. It's the things that seems to go wrong that forces you to wait on God. Because you can't make it happen. So God has designed life in such a way to cause you to be in total despair. Faith is born out of despair. When you have nothing else to cling to, nothing else to look to, no way out, you don't know what you're going to do, 
And God says, finally I got you where I want you. With nobody and nothing except me. Now you can see what I can do for you. So sometimes God will take away your job, take away finances, take away health, take away... And all you got left is the Lord. Well, you, you, you still got the greatest. I mean, here's God, and here's health, here's job, here's everything else. I would rather have him than all of this. Because if you had all of that and not have him, you could still lose all of this. But if you got the Lord, you don't have to worry about anything else. You say, well, you, i got to have this, i got to have this. Gotta... No, you don't. You might have to die. What if I starve to death? So, as other people have starved to death. What if I can't afford the surgeries? Well, then, then you die. Do you realize until about 100 years ago, most people died. They didn't live as long as we've already lived. 35 years, you've lived to be a pretty ripe old man. But just think, we get to live to be 69, 80. But now, look, look what he says here. So you know that tribulation works with patience, and patience, that's experience. You see, experience is, is how you mature. You've gone through some things. It's kind of like a guy that goes out there and, you know, he's never played golf before and he gets the ball, he gets the club, and he, he digs up a trench and never has touched the ball yet or swing 20 times and he can't get down there to hit the ball every time he swings. But you just need experience. So what I want to hit like the pros, that'll take a while. So you've got to learn. And every one of you in here, remember, you're not going to walk as a saint of 50 years or 100 years without going through experiences. The experiences of life is the salt and pepper on your eggs. Eggs without salt and pepper, blah. But, and your life will be blah. Unless you have different experiences that you go through life. That's what makes it colorful. That's what gives you the stories to tell. And don't you like to be able to spin a yarn? And so you've got to have something happen to you. So those are the experiences of life. And sometimes those experiences, they cost you dearly. You know... Things that don't cost much, you don't remember as well, and they're not as good as stories. It's the ones that are really, really good. You know, when you almost died, almost got killed by a car wreck, you almost, this almost, so close, and hadn't God had any, see, that's the stories you want. Or somebody you led to the Lord. Now, I've led a lot of people to the Lord over the years, but there's just certain ones that are, they're classics, the stories of how it happened. And... I've had people come up to me years later and say, you remember you led me to the Lord? Nope. <laughs> I have no recollection. And there's other people that I have told their stories over and over again for 40 years. But see, these experiences you go through, they're costly, but they're good. And God's grace is sufficient for you as you live your life. Now, he's not only talking here about how you got to be justified, but there's a lot more to it after you've been justified. Now that you're God's child, what about this life God's given us to live? So he says here in verse 5, he says, So hope maketh not ashamed. In other words, when you've gone through some experiences after a while, you're not ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. You can say, God did this for me, and God did this for me, and God did this for me. I know some things that people go through, and they get bitter at God. They get bitter at God. Uh, there's a man that... Um, he was married to this woman, and she was a believer. So was he. But for some reason, she just decided she's just going to leave him, and she married another one. And this man is bitter as bitter can be. 
And I um, had these two guys, and I gave the one a CD this week on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said, said, sir, if you get a chance to, would you uh, like to listen to a CD? He said, sure. So I gave it to him. And I started to give one to the other guy, and he says, no. He says, a long story. He was bitter, bitter at God because of what somebody had done. Did you know that? He missed out on a great learning lesson. He allowed an experience to make him so bitter, he ceased to learn. He was ceased to grow because he was done wrong. And it didn't matter. Nothing else mattered. And that was just an experience that I had just this week. So not everybody that I talk to trusts the Lord. Some of them are very mean and belligerent and bitter. But look in verse 5. The reason is because the experiences gives you confidence. It builds your hope. You, you, you know and you look forward to the next great experience. Because you see, those are things that helps you because of the Holy Spirit that lives within you, to give you an opportunity to shed abroad the love of Christ. See what he says there in verse 5? He says, because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. So the Holy Spirit within you is to help you to learn from the experiences you go through. And these experiences usually come disguised as tribulations or work. And... Because of that, you got opportunities to demonstrate the love that you have for the Lord and the love that the Lord has for people. So you're just to be a channel by which God can work through. And it, it will work God's way. In verse 6, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. So if Christ died for the ungodly, and you've already been justified, so we're not talking about you, we're talking about how God's going to use you to reach the ungodly. So God is going to arrange things in life to have people come across your path. Now, you may take advantage of it, and you may not. But don't say, well, I never have any opportunities. I never have a chance to witness to anybody. Do you live on planet Earth? Have you ever seen people? They're everywhere. They're everywhere. He says in verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Or here you are. You have a life to live. Let's say, for example, I'm 25 years old. And I have all these plans for life. And lo and behold, somebody's coming up there and they're going to shoot Jay. And I don't even know Jay. And they say, we're going to shoot Jay unless you volunteer to take his place. No, wait a minute. Let's talk about this. I mean, i got all these plans for my life. Why would, you wanna, why would I want to give up my life for somebody I don't even know? I don't know if he's a good man or a bad man. I don't know anything about the man. Would you want to give up your life for somebody you don't even know? He says, for a righteous man, some would even dare to die. He said, oh, the good man. But God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did it for us while we were yet sinners, not when we improved. Christ died for us. Uh, what about these young soldiers that go into the military and they go to Afghanistan? And we think about, especially during the Second World War, all the thousands that died, over half a million almost, that died just in that war, that never got a chance to live. Lives are snuffed out. They gave up their life so that you and I could 
you know, 50 years later, sink our country. But anyway, look what we've done with the freedom God give us. It's almost like, did they die in vain to give up their life? Now that you know Christ is your Savior, are you willing to live your life to reach other people? In other words, you have plans and goals that you'd like to have, fulfilling God. But would you surrender some of those things? Sacrifice. What would you give up in order to reach people for the Lord? But anyway, he says here in verse 9, underline these two words, much more, much more, much more. Now look at your notes there. Whereas much more is always something that accompanies grace. Much more then, as he says here in verse 9, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. I believe this saved from wrath here is a reference to the word over there in the book of Romans in chapter 1 and verse 18 where it says the wrath of God is revealed. We're saved from that wrath. In other words, Christ took my payment for me because it's in reference to Christ died for me. So I don't have to go through this wrath of God been poured out upon me in a literal fire burning hell. I don't never have to worry about that. But now look in verse 10. For if while or when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. You see, but I was reconciled to God because of what Christ did for me. You see, God is perfect and righteous and just and holy, and I wasn't. I was a sinner. So there is like enmity, war between me and God. Everything I said, did, thought was always against God. Because I'm a sinner. So he says here, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, and here's that word again, much more, being reconciled, now that I am, we shall be saved by His life. In other words, Christ died, buried, come back from the dead. Now look there in chapter 4, and look down there in verse 24. When you and I accept Christ as our Savior, when we believe He did it for us, then His righteousness is put to our account. See there in verse 24? But for us also to whom it shall be imputed, put to our account, if we believe on Him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses, that means for our sins, connect that to Colossians in chapter 2 and verse 14, Christ was nailed to the cross for our sin, raised again for our justification. So God had to raise up His Son, Jesus Christ, from the dead in order to justify us. Because the payment was accepted, Christ came back from the dead, and Christ can't save anybody if He's still in the grave. But He's alive. And not only did He reconcile me, made a payment for my sins, but now, much more than just that, says, I shall be saved. That means in my life, I am kept saved by his life. So as long as Christ is alive, I have eternal life. The only way you can take my eternal life away is Christ has to die. What do you think the odds are of that happening? It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to take place. Place. So his death on the cross saved me from the wrath of God, but by his life he saves me or keeps me saved by his life. 
I think it's a wonderful verse that kind of gives me the idea, you know, maybe this eternal security thing is real. I think it's what he's talking about. Now, look in verse 12. And I want you to know that the word one, all the way down to the rest of this chapter, is mentioned 14 times. One, 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 one. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. In other words, that Jesus Christ chose to be sin for us. Adam chose to sin. Jesus didn't choose to sin. He just chose to become sin for us. It was a choice that he made, just like Adam was a choice. He knew what he was doing. He was not deceived. Eve was deceived. Adam was not deceived. So he talked about after the similitude of Adam. So by looking at these two men, here's Adam over here, Christ over here. By one man's disobedient, one sin, everybody who was born of Adam are all sinners. One man, Jesus Christ, who was perfect. When we accept him as our Savior, this one man's obedience is like all of his righteousness is put to our account. And all those born in his line, his family, are all made righteous. One man, all condemned. One man, all who believe, justified. As though he had never sinned. Declared righteous. So therefore, he shows you these two men for the rest of this chapter. And by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so all men have sinned, so all men are condemned. Now, verse 15 says, But not as the offense, so also the free gift. And you'll notice the word gift here and the word free beside it. I think he wants you to know that this is a free gift. Maybe it says it that way. And then he says, for if through the offense of one many be dead, much more. And you ought to underline those words. Much more. The grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. All those who do believe are justified as though he had never sinned. Given eternal life. And so that's why God says that he, you can be justified. Now, that's why he says in verse 1, therefore being justified... By faith. Just being justified by faith. Because of what Christ did. So when you believe in Him, His righteousness is imputed to you or put to your account from the previous chapter there. And look what he says in verse 16. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. In other words, look up here. One man sinned, Everybody sinned. Everybody's condemned. But when it came to Christ, one man's obedience, regardless of how many sins. You see, over here, you only had to commit one sin. Over here, it doesn't matter how many sins you've committed. The grace of God is much more than all of the sins, all combined. Of all men, from the beginning to the end, all of the sins of all the world, grace covers all of that. And you'll see that down here 
the next chapter we get to it. But look what he says now in verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more, and you ought to underline that word, much more, they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. The abundance of grace. Therefore, in verse 18, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. This is those who believe on Christ, that trust Him. His righteousness is put to your account. And it doesn't matter how many sins you've committed. His grace is much more than your sins. And he says here, in verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience, many made sinners. So by the obedience of one... Many are made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. In other words, you don't know how bad sin is until you know what righteousness is. That's why we always used the law to show a man that he's a sinner. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. Uh, first four to God and the last six to man. And everybody's told a lie. Well, why do we say that? Anybody here never stole anything? Never told a lie? We always use the law to show that we're sinners. Because by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law came to show you how bad and how that it's impossible for a man to save himself by his works. So the law points a man to Christ. So then he says here, in verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, and you ought to underline this, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life through Jesus Christ. So it's not just that he can save you today and lose you tomorrow. But when you trusted Christ as your Savior, and He is alive from the dead, He keeps you saved. Is there a verse anywhere in the Bible that says, Who are kept by the power of God? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Because verse 4 says, That not only are you saved from something, you're saved to something. You're saved from hell. To an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I think that's what it says. Now, so we have in these simple little verses the much more. You see, God's grace is, is a lot more than all of the sins you've ever done or ever will do. If it wasn't for the grace of God, none of us would have a chance. Look at your notes now. See there in the middle of the page where it has the two men? A comparison, but much more. On the left, sin came through Adam, one man. So death by one sinful deed passed upon all men, all men condemned. On the right-hand side, righteousness through Christ, one man. Eternal life by one righteous deed, his death on the cross. Eternal life passed upon all believers. All believers made righteous. You're justified. So this is why in chapter 3 it says, And the righteousness of God is manifested, been witnessed by the law and the prophets. 
So his righteousness in chapter 4 is imputed to those who believe. And so those who do believe are justified by their faith and faith alone. Therefore, it has to be by grace or nobody would have it. I'll look there in chapter 4 very quickly as we close here. But look in Romans in chapter 4 and look there in verse 15. Verse 15. He says, because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there's no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith. Now, verse 16, you need to underline it in your Bible. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end, or for this purpose, the promise might be sure to all the seed. The only way for salvation to be sure that I'm not going to go to hell today or tomorrow or any time is it has to be by grace. Because if it was by works, it would never be sure. That's why you ask people where they're going to go when they die, and they don't know for sure. Well, they don't understand grace. Because if they really knew it was a free gift, and the reason they think they can lose it is because they really don't believe that it's a free gift. They believe that what Christ did was to give you a chance to earn it. And that's not why Christ died. To give you the chance to earn it. He came to save, to justify, to reconcile by that payment that He made for our sins that separated us from God. And now when we have Christ, remember eternal life is Christ. So when you accept Christ, you have eternal life. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. This is the true God and eternal life. So that's why when you accept Christ as your Savior, the only way you can lose eternal life is for Christ to die. There is no other way. And He ain't going to die. Never. Best news in all the world. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we do thank you so much for your blessings to us. We ask, Lord, that you'd help each person here to not only to understand it for themselves, but but to have the boldness and the confidence to explain it to others. You're good to us. We're thankful for the privilege of living this side of eternity. After we have been justified, that we might, because of the tribulations that we have, get a lot of experience. The experience gives us boldness. And that boldness is why we're able to reach out and let others know, because of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, that your love can be manifested revealed. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you in Christ's name. Amen.